Hi, I'm Liz Winstead. I'm Mojiella Wodeal. And we're the hosts of Feminist Buzzkills, the only weekly podcast that helps you navigate the post-row hellscape. We dissect all the news from that sketchy intersection of abortion and misogyny with our guests, the abortion providers and activists working on the ground. Plus, we have amazing comedians to help us laugh through the rage. Feminist Buzzkills drops Fridays wherever you get your pod fix. Listen and subscribe, because when BS is popping, we pop off. Call the fake news the enemy of the people, and they are. It's a serious question. I, I appreciate your passion. I share it. I've addressed this question. I've addressed my personal feelings. And I want you all to know that we are fighting the fake news. You're listening to Just Ask the Question, Adventures in Reporting with your host, Brian Karam. Hi, we are back. It's Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam, and with us to talk about our weekly wrap-up of things in the news is uh, former federal prosecutor Michael Zeldin and editor-at-large from CQ Roll Call, John Bennett. As usual, we have a lot to unpack this week, including the <laughs> town hall meeting with former President Ronald, no, former President Donald Trump. I would have preferred it we were with Ronald Reagan, but uh, and I didn't like him. Um, <laughs> the E. Jean Carroll decision in her lawsuit against Donald Trump Trump, the the infamous debt ceiling. What the hell does it mean? And are we all screwed, blued, and tattooed? Title 42 comes to an end. Did anybody notice George Santos is indicted? Does anybody care? And of course, we have your letters and concerns. So stick around after this commercial message. We will be right back. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not released anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash JATQ podcast. Hi, we are back. It is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam. And with us, Michael Zellin and John Bennett to discuss the weekly roundup of news. It was a particularly, uh, <laughs> I don't know, felt a little bit like PTSD this week with the <laughs> Donald Trump town hall. And that's what we will uh, kick off with. Now, I, I'll, I'll start out by saying there was a lot of criticism of CNN for putting Trump on the air at all there were those who criticized the host. There were those who criticized the audience. And then there are those of us who were too numb by the end of the evening to give a shit. And that would be me having lived through four years of Donald Trump. It all seemed too blatantly familiar to me. I thought I was, I thought I was back on a Monday afternoon in the White House during COVID. And here comes damn Donnie to, 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 to disseminate disinformation <laughs> at, at an alarming fashion and rate. All that was missing, Brian, was the was that that high pitched idol of Marine oh. One on the yes, South. That's, that's exactly that's all right. that was missing at times. Shut up. I told him not to let him in here. 
big mouth. <laughs> that was a nasty person. We heard it all. Um, but first of all, look, uh, Caitlin Collins did as well as anybody could, I, I think. And I, I want to, if anybody's going to uh, criticize her, please pass it on by. And CNN, I think, was obligated to put him on the air because he's running for president. And while we may not like him and while he may inflame the masses, and I guess that's the the, the touching off point, he, he it, it's good to know that he's worse than ever. I, I don't think he did himself any favors in the long run, except with his ever shrinking base. But John, that's the, at the point I'll, I'll start the uh, conversation is, <clears throat> was it worth putting Donnie on the air again? Uh, our PTSD aside. <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, overall, it it was worth doing. Uh, this is the front runner for the Republican nomination. Absolutely. Uh, Trump is absolutely right that he's up big on Ron DeSantis, who's has even declared his candidacy. So, excuse me. And, you know, we hear from Trump on his own terms these days we hear at, at at rallies and fundraisers and of course um truth social and he does a lot of um, interviews with friendly interviewers from conservative media outlets so it was absolutely worth doing it um for those reasons i would have liked cnn though to have announced that they were at least going to invite other republican candidates like a series of town halls yeah not trump um they're it definitely felt like in part, and hey, this is a business, okay? We're we're all in a business now. This is not the old days where there's a firewall with the business department. Okay, that's over. So CNN, yeah, they wanted ratings. Newsflash, they wanted ratings. They want ratings right now at 11.22 on Sunday morning, okay? I think everybody needs to just, let's drop this facade. Okay, so that dropped. The format probably wasn't, wasn't the best but then as we were saying before we hit the button and started recording cnn or, or trump would not have agreed maybe uh to different interviewers or maybe if you would put two folks up there to kind of slow down as i wrote in my newsletter this week i called trump a runaway freight train fully loaded and fueled by grievance so you probably needed two people up there so we're blowing together. his blowing his boilers. <laughs> yes, so you probably needed two folks up there to try to slow him down. Caitlin Collins did a did a really good job. She did the best she could. I mean, I don't know how many Diet Cokes Trump had on the plane on the way up, but he was amped up and pissed off. And you know, I couldn't have done a better job than Caitlin. And I've been covering Trump for eight years, uh, so you know, I don't think that was quite fair. Uh, to put her up there alone. But again, that's what it took to get Trump to agree to it. So it was worth doing. I hope that CNN will 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 do exactly what I say. And, you know, Nikki Haley, she's a declared candidate. She's in Iowa. She's all over the place. They could invite Nikki Haley for a town hall in Iowa or New Hampshire or South Carolina, somewhere like that, um, her home state, maybe. So I would I, I would like to see that uh, maybe invite the president, uh, Joe Biden. To, to do a town hall and and let's get some um, I'm going to sound old fashioned here, but let's get some balance. If that's what you want to do, 
than 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 do a series of these things. I mean, they've got the set. All you gotta do is put it on a truck and take it somewhere else. Um, <laughs> I would like to see and them the Teamsters do that. would like, love that. <laughs> and and hey, Caitlin did Caitlin did get news out of Trump. He said he yes. wants the country to go ahead and default. Go ahead, Republicans on on. Capitol I think Hill. that was the most. Don't ignore what the what news was made out of it. You, right. We heard from Donald Trump's lips yes. that he yes. would let the country default. Now it's not surprising to anyone because he's yeah. defaulted on his own loans. So why not, why not let the country default? Right. And I think there is there would be a lot of value in in that kind of series, uh, and and invite the president, invite Nikki Haley, eventually Governor DeSantis, um, and, and folks like that. And there's a lot of, of value for the voters in that. So we'll see if CNN uh, puts something like that uh, together. Um, the format, you know, wasn't great, but but all in all, I thought it was it was definitely a look inside Trump's brain. And you're right. It was like those old school pool sprays or chopper talks. And yeah. and 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 you you just you see exactly what he's thinking. And that's the one thing about covering Trump is it's pretty it's pretty transparent where, you know, somebody, a more traditional politician like Joe Biden, he he leaves things a little vague and leaves the door open over here. Well, Trump will just slam the door right in your face. Yeah, Michael. So Donald Trump is what Mehdi Hassan and others will call in his starless speech a gish galloper. The, the, this guy yes. Gish, who who would would run off a series of of statements, you know, staccato, boom, 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 most of which were were false and. If you tried to deal with it at a macro level, um, it was just impossible. And so the the technique that uh, Hassan and others will say is you pick essentially the lowest hanging fruit, pick one of the lies um, in the series of lies and just keep honing in on it to prove <clears throat> the lie. Jonathan Swan did that with Trump in an Axios interview um some some years ago and so stylistically i think that the moderator <clears throat> could have um done excuse me <clears throat> could have done a little bit better in pinning him in pinning him down as a as a debate as a matter of sort of like debate um but i don't criticize her um for for her effort uh, at all i thought she did ably uh, I just don't know what exactly CNN <clears throat> thought it would get out of it. I mean, they got ratings. ratings for one night, but then the next night their ratings dropped again down to the five hundred thousand um, range. So it didn't it, it wasn't a they didn't get any carryover effect. Um, and unless they are, to your points, unless they are going to now do the same thing for every declared political candidate um I, I don't know how you you know justify just giving it to donald trump it just seems to me um well un if unfair. they don't you're right you, if they don't you are absolutely right uh and i but but also stylistically i i wor i wonder about the decision by um cnn to pack the hall with essentially Trump-friendly um, Republican 
with a Trump friendly Republican audience who were told they can cheer, but they cannot boo. And so since you didn't really see them um, as much as you saw the candidates, you could hear the cheers and the, and the snickering laughter, but you couldn't see the disgust on those who were told to be be quiet. I mean, it seemed to me if you're going to control the audience, you tell them no, no cheering, no booing, not just no booing, because that's a false. Then you get a false soundtrack, right? If half the audience wants to boo but can't, because they were told they specifically can't, <laughs> right? And then you hear, then you hear fifty percent yelling, you know, "You go, girl!" Um, you go, girl, Jesus! I'm out there loving it. Well, then, then you get this false impression that he he captivated, um, he, he that he owned the audience, and and people in the audience who were there said to the contrary that there were many many um, Republicans and independents in that in that hall who were very skeptical, if not outright disgusted, by his presentation, but we couldn't see it. So because of the structure of that, it made him appear more popular and more successful than perhaps he was um because there was a there was remember there was a um a group of people that they talked to after the debate i think eight not un, uncommitted uh 2024 voters all of whom were either republicans or independents and uh, and they asked them essentially how many of you now are convinced that you'll vote for donald donald trump um, again in 2024 because of this performance, only one. All the others were were still holding their uh, allegiance to Trump um, at bay until they saw how things progressed. So it's not like he he convinced um, those who were already were convinced. So you know, I think it was. Well, I it, think the key. You know, it wasn't. Here. It wasn't. It wasn't. I just let me just finish this one yeah. point, Brian. I think the structure of it was bad. It gave a, a a false impression to the to the listening audience. I listened to it on the radio, and so I couldn't even see people. Um, and I would hear these whooping and hollerings when he disparages um, E. Jean Carroll again um, after having just been uh, found liable for being a sex abuser and a defamer. And the and the audience is is whooping and hollering. Those in the audience who have talked about it afterwards since said that was not a majority of the audience who did yeah. that they just were a loud vocal so me on the radio i'm thinking oh my god this this audience believes that defamation and sex abuse is a is a good, good thing, thing. <laughs> and so i i think that there's a lot in terms of the staging of it i thought there was a lot that was problematic and in terms of giving him this uh forum if they're not going to give it to everybody else democrat and republican alike then i think that was that was unfair Un that is unfair yeah I, uh, to your point i don't know if any of you noticed well you were listening to it on the radio john you may have noticed you were watching it as i was uh, most of the commercials were in-house promotions for cnn yeah. there were very few commercials that were sold however <clears throat> the very first commercial coming out of the very first break was a ron DeSantis commercial <laughs> was <laughs> saying we're not backing down so to your point michael i think that uh that was uh, those people who are withholding their allegiance to trump are waiting for DeSantos to jump in 
um, those who would actually favor whatever policies Donald Trump says he favors. I, I still haven't found a, a policy that he favors that makes any sense, but well, that's he, nonetheless. He recently, DeSantis, DeSantis was in Iowa and he basically said um, that if we're going to be relitigating the past, we're going to lose. If we don't project a forward vision yep. where we want to go, um, then, you know, forget about it. And I and, think he could forget about it anyway, because he has all of the uh, appeal of roadkill. But John, I understand you... that. <laughs> I understand that. But, but I'm saying, so he's at least staking this. I mean, the one thing for DeSantis or anybody else is to say that hour long um, escapade with Trump was all about the past. There was almost nothing about the future um, other than I've never known gonna... Donald I, again. And John, you can, that's the only thing I've ever heard. No, 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 but I'm saying, is the opening at the past and nothing projecting forward in four years in the White House. I never heard much of that. <laughs> no, no, no. But what I'm saying, Brian, what I'm saying though is for the other candidates. Yes, I hear you. And I what think I'm this saying is, I don't created... know. I don't know that the the faithful care about you that. Know what I'm saying, but it may have created this town hall may have created an opportunity for the other Republican primary candidates to say what DeSantis seems to have just said, which is we can't litigate the past. We've got to project something for the future. So at least there's a, there's something that's binary there. You can either stick with Trump and be, be wallowing in, in, in past, um, uh, you know, indignations, or we can pivot and start moving forward. Well, what do you want to do? Well, we may not heard, convince we've anybody, heard but, that but at least there's a too. message. No, but there's a message there. All I'm saying is there's yeah. an opportunity for a message. That's I know. What, what, did, what did Lindsey Graham say? If we embrace him, there was a binary position. If we embrace him, we'll kill the Republican Party and it'll be our fault. And they did, and they did. So I don't know that that I, I appreciate it. I hear what you're saying. My point is I don't know if there are enough people in the Republican Party to whom uh, that message will make a difference in their choice for president. I think that the emotional decision made to embrace Donald Trump is one that is not overcome by a binary decision, logic, facts, or anything else. But I only covered the guy for, I don't know, John, that's, I'll let you have the last word on this before we move on to to Michael's at, at point that he made earlier about E. Jean Carroll. But go ahead, I'll give you the last word on the town hall. Yeah, I, I I think I think Michael raises a a a true point, a good point that that this does open a door. But you know, on Thursday after, and I talked to some Senate Republicans um, on Thursday on on the Hill, and you know, there was some criticism. But you know, uh, Senator Young from Indiana, I'm I, I, it, it showed why I'm not planning qualifier number one, to support Donald Trump in the primary qualifier number two. Yeah. So Mr. <laughs> Young, and then he wouldn't give me a straight answer on the general, but the implication there is clear that when this guy steamrolls his way to the nomination, you know, I'll, I'll vote for him over, uh, over Joe Biden, uh, who we have every reason to believe will be the Democratic nominee. But 
but yes. and, and, and you knew there was a but coming. Uh, I agree with Michael's point, but there is a but. And the headline I put on my Thursday newsletter. The but is CQ Donald afternoon. Trump, but go ahead. <laughs> CQ Afternoon Briefing is the name of the newsletter. You can subscribe at CQ.com. Uh, the headline was, how do you stop a runaway freight train like the Donald? And, you know, even if voters hear DeSantis with his forward looking, we're going to fight woke and I'm going to cut taxes and this and that, even if they like it, Trump will just do something like the town hall and suck all the oxygen and attention and coverage out of the room. And I, I just don't I don't see how any of the other Republican candidates can break that, can break through that, can get through all the cloud and the fog and the smoke and the fire that Trump creates almost on a daily basis. I, I just I think they're in. A, a situation I was talking to a source uh, before the town hall uh, who said his his feel of this is the Republicans. And you hear it with McConnell, uh, you know, he's Steve Daines is now running. Senator Daines is now running the, the Senate Republicans campaign operation for 2024. And he's already endorsed Donald Trump. And what this source said, his read of all this is they're just going to they're going to embrace Trump. For four more years, if he if he gets reelected, they're going to back him in this election. And if he gets reelected, just write him out for four more years and then move on. Or he loses to Joe Biden in the general, and they they tell him, "Okay, you had your shot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, moving you, on. You had three shots at this. You went one and two. You know, you've been eliminated from political <laughs> playoff. The, the <laughs> You're out. Right." And I think this source might be on it. I think I think he's on to something that that that's the play here is, you know, DeSantis has a likability problem. And and he's yes. going to have DeSantis has to overcome his likability problem and the Donald. And I just don't I just I think that those hills are both too steep to climb at the same time. Well, and I'll just end it with this thing. I think you can describe accurately the Republican Party is suffering from the Stockholm syndrome, but that's, that's, that's just me. That's, so moving on, Michael, it, it's, it, you're, you're Bailey wick and it, you're at, I, one of the things that one of the first comments I was on a Chris Cuomo show on news nation after the, uh, after the um, wonderful town hall. And the first question I was asked is what did I think? And I said, well, I think that um, if nothing else, E. Jean Carroll has an excellent, case against donald trump if she wants to file another suit of defamation against him so the decision came out he was on the air but tell us about the decision and what that actually does mean if you can unpack a little bit of that it means that donald trump was found civilly liable for being a sexual abuser under new york law which is essentially rape with all any part of your body safe for your penis um and he was uh liable. i'm not even touching he, that line but go ahead <laughs> no but i'm saying because i know it's just a straight line i want to talk about the decision so he was yep. found guilty of sexual abuse first degree sexual abuse and defamation it was ordered to pay five million dollars in damages two million for the sexual abuse 3 million for the the defamation 
Now, people have said, well, you know, he wasn't convicted of rape, except he was, except in the most technical sense. And that was, that's what I'm saying is New York law distinguishes between sexual abuse and rape, depending on whether you use your penis or not. Um, and what the evidence at the trial was, was less than fully conclusive about the rape um, than it was the sexual abuse. And so the jury, I think, smartly said, you know what, the evidence is overwhelming on sexual abuse. Rape, it's less clear. Right. So let's just call it what it is, because it doesn't really make a difference, because it's not a criminal prosecution where you'll go to jail for more or less time, depending on which statute um, you're convicted of. So they said, look, this guy was is a sexual abuser. We'll call him that. We'll make him pay $2 million for it. And we'll make him pay two, $3 million for lying uh, and denying it. And and that, you know, is the end of the game. And he may appeal it. And maybe there are appellate issues. The anonymous jury and, and other things are a little bit, you know, complicated legally. But at the bottom line, as of today, Donald Trump is uh, $5 million poor, although I'm sure he'll ask his fans to pay for it. And he is a sexual abuser. If it was a criminal case, they mm -hmm. would make him register on the sexual uh, predator registry. Uh, I don't <laughs> know that you get to do that in a civil in 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 a civil right. case. So maybe, maybe, maybe. Well, we all know who he is about, anyway. <laughs> maybe New York should think about adding that to its its statute. Um, so that's where he is. So that's what that's what he is. She's completely vindicated. If I were her, I wouldn't go through this again. It was a nightmare. I wouldn't sue him again for renewed defamation. I think she made the point. She got the the vindication, and uh, importantly, he was called out for what he um, was in her case, and in the case of Many two other women who testified that they similarly were. Um, abused by him and um if people well, what about to... his his claims that you know he didn't get to speak his mind in in the case and that he can well he you know he's talked about appealing it i mean for those on his side you know he's claiming witch hunt again and saying that um it was a a, a put up job and that it wasn't fair and to to that those issues be plain. Uh, wh wh why is that full of shit? <laughs> so when you are sued, you have a right to answer that suit. And when the case goes and take the testimony and, and everything, when the case goes to trial, you get to go to the trial as the um, defending party. And when the plaintiff party um, puts on its witnesses, you get to cross-examine those witnesses. And when they rest their case, you get to put on your affirmative case, your affirmative witnesses who get cross-examined themselves. And then you each make your closing argument. That's the way it works. You start, you right. put on your witnesses, they get cross-examined. Uh, you rest, I put on my affirmative witnesses, they get cross-examined. We both do a closing argument and let the jury decide. In this case, Donald Trump neither appeared in court once, nor did his defense attorney put on an affirmative defense. So when the when the plaintiff rested, the judge says, Mr. Trump attorney, would you like to begin your case? And they said, we have no case 
to put on. We are going to rest only on our cross-examination of the plaintiff's witnesses. And they said, well, you know, what do you think about that? Because Trump was in, in, in overseas in Scotland or someplace. Yeah. And he said he's, he's got to rush back to defend himself against this case. So the judge said, well, I hear you. I'm going to give you through the weekend, um, before we convene on Monday, I'm going to give you through the weekend to make sure that that's, you know, that's what you're going to do. And so if you've changed your mind, because you told us in the beginning you're not going to testify, if you've changed your mind per your announcement in, in, in Scotland, good, come back. I'll give you extra time. And uh, you can put on your defense on Monday and I'll give you to five o'clock on Sunday to just let me know if that's what you've decided to do. Sunday went from 459 to 501 and uh, the judge was told that Trump is not going to testify and they are not going to put on an affirmative defense. And so anyone who says, well, Trump wasn't given his day in court, the only person that denied him his day in court was him. He was the only one. I mean, he could have testified. He could have put on affirmative witnesses. He could have, you know, said in court under oath, this is a lie, but he didn't. Instead, he says it at golf courses and in uh, the most recent town hall meeting. So any place where he cannot be held legally accountable, um, he's, he's, he's sort of willing to talk, although he was held legally accountable for the defamation in this case outside of a courtroom. But if he's going to be put under oath, all of a sudden he's a no-show. And so yeah. anyone who says... This is a witch hunt, and he was denied his rights in court. Um, is mistaken. So, uh, John, does do you think that this decision will have any effect on his candidacy? I again, <laughs> the freight train is fully loaded and and fully gassed up here. Uh, I I think there's a chance that this could hurt him with trying to get back some of those suburban women that he lost in 2020 in you know let's be frank the six states that are going to matter in the electoral right. college again the same probably the same six so um i i think he did he definitely didn't do himself any favors uh with those women voters um but at the same time i'm i'm still thinking about uh, what Chris Christie, the former New Jersey governor, said last week on ABC uh, last Sunday, uh, inflation, inflation, inflation. You know, if if folks are still paying, uh, still paying a lot more than they were a year ago or or eighteen months ago for groceries, and if if gas is still hovering around, you know, three eighty four dollars on election day, um, folks might. You know, those those same women voters might conclude that, well, we kind of knew this about Trump already. Um, it's awful what what Miss Carroll went through. But, you know, I got to do what I got to do. I got to do what I got to do. I got to do what I got to do. Self-interest. I got to do it. And Christie sounds to me a lot like uh, he, he's the James Carville whisperer. You know, it's it's all about the economy, stupid. That's exactly. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. that's the tact he's taking. So they, yeah, they could side. They could side with Trump that you know all this stuff was cheaper uh, when he was in office, and I'll put up with all the bad stuff for four more years, and see if he can do a better job with getting these prices down. So I, I think it does hurt him, but I don't think it eliminates the the chance that he would get just enough of those women voters back that he could eke some that he could eke out some kind of electoral map. 
um, and and go back to the White House. You can't rule this guy out. He is a puncher. He he is a knockout puncher, and it doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't matter how if he's on the mat. Or, yeah, <laughs> all it takes is a couple a couple a couple haymakers, and and this guy could 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 be back in the White House. Yeah, this is the guy that's the dirty puncher, knocked to the mat on his knees. We'll still punch you in the nuts. <laughs> that's that's, that's oh, I never, I never, yeah. I mean, low blow, yeah, you know, it doesn't matter. He's not gonna listen to the ref. We know no, that. We know that. We're gonna take a short break, and when we come back, we've got a lot more to talk about the debt ceiling, title 42, George Santos, and your letters. So stick around, we'll be right back. Hey, just ask the question podcast listeners. If you've got a second, head on over to Twitter and follow our official page, JATQ Podcast. That's JATQ Podcast. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not found anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash J-A-T-Q podcast. Hi, we are back. It is Just Ask the Question. This is your weekly roundup of all the news that's fit to chew over, spit out, and print. So that's joining me again is Michael Zeldin and John Bennett. And I, I'm going to take a, something out of order here and talk a little bit about Title 42. As we all know what Title 42, and and Mike, I'll let you unpack that in a second, what Title 42 is about, but there was all kinds of uh, screaming, ranting, and raving that once Title 42 ran out, that there would be just a a, a plethora of people screaming across the border like banshees, marauding, carousing, trying to get into the United States, and um, I don't know, I'm still waiting for it. I, I don't know that we've actually had the influx of illegal immigrants that they feared, but uh, tell us why. And and listen, I I worked on the board. I'll say this as background. I worked on the border. I lived on the border. The border has been a problem for at least a hundred and some odd years. Smedley Butler, the uh, second most decorated Marine ever, uh, wrote a book in 1926 or 27 and said war is uh, as a racket and said that the United States was responsible for the problems in Central and South America because we wanted cheap labor. That has not changed in 100 years. And after the uh, economy crash, in the uh, oil economy crash in Mexico in the 70s, beginning in the late 70s and early 80s, there's been a, 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 an influx of illegal immigration over our southern border. It has grown to include immigrants from Central and South America, not just Mexico, but also from around the world. And the last time I was there, there were people from Poland, Ukraine, uh, sitting in uh, southern uh, in northern Mexico in cities like uh, Nuevo Laredo and um, Manamoras waiting to try and get across the border. All of that is background being said. It has been a quote-unquote crisis since the oil economy crash, and neither political party has done shit about it. It's a political football, which each used to their own benefit. That as background. Now, Title 42, Michael, if you can unpack what it is and what uh, what it portended once it ended. And I'll, I'll say that out of all the interviews I've seen, there were very few immigrants. Now, m- mind you, the um, 
the smugglers and the coyotes and and the drug cartels knew that title 42 was a problem or was ending but certainly not many of the immigrants who were just trying to get across the border so with that michael tell us what it was and why it was important so title 42 was a pandemic era border restriction policy which allowed the border authorities to more swiftly turn away migrants entering that they encountered rather at the U.S.-Mexico border, cutting down the time necessary to process and keeping them out um, under um, the pandemic uh, restrictions. That is now over. The pandemic is over. Title 42 has expired. This was a temporary um, uh, measure. And now they are reverting back to the old, decades-old Title VIII, which makes for longer processing times and allows people more easy access to the United States pending court appearances to determine whether they um, can get asylum or otherwise immigrate emigrate into the United States lawfully. So we've essentially, what happened was the pandemic created this Title 42 to restrict. Pandemic ends, the restriction evaporates as it was always intended to. It's not like Biden um, put a deadline on it. It wasn't when the pandemic ends, Title 42 goes away. It's gone away. We go back to the normal processes for um, processing people who are trying to get into the United States. And that that process, that judicial process, allows for a hearing. And um, the question is, how is the country going to manage all of those people who are trying to come into the country? Um, and if there's a longer process, do they get a court hearing? Are they then released right. into the United States pending their court hearing? Are they being held outside of the United States as some would, would like? It's, it's a big hot mess. The saddest thing is that under the administration of George W. Bush, they were so close to getting comprehensive immigration reform. Very um, and I think yeah, George yeah. W. Bush could have gotten it across the finish line, but of course, then there was 9-11 and the world changed. But he was the one who had the greatest, I think, opportunity to get it done, and he had the the intention to get it done, but then world events eclipsed that, and we find ourselves in this decades-old mess uh, with a whole lot of finger-pointing and blaming when, of course, the pox is on the house of everybody, Republican, Democrat, liberal, conservative, um, and it's what's the saddest thing for me about it is that these human beings are just being used as political yes. footballs, footballs um, with some governors playing um, politics and sending immigrants to Democrat-run um, cities. You know, it's 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 you're here and well said. It's such a disgrace. I mean, the <clears throat> the 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 governor Abbotts and DeSantis's of the world should be ashamed of the way in, in they're treating human beings um well since they have no personal shame. for their own personal <clears throat> personal political 
gain as opposed to putting forth real policy proposals that have a chance of passing and making the country a better place for everybody. John, by the way, here, here, and well said, Michael. That's that without a doubt. That what most frustrating for anybody who's covered this issue for any length of time is that both parties have used this, but it's particularly onerous. It's particularly horrific to watch these people suffering while uh, the DeSantis and uh, the Abbots of the world have marched forward to claim that issue simply to scare the living shit out of people and get votes. But I, I agree. John. Well, if the two there was a 2013 uh, immigration reform bill that passed the Senate, it was very bipartisan. Uh, it got north of it got easily over 60 votes, uh, both on the cloture, the procedural and the final vote. And if and that bill was loaded with all kind of goodies for everybody. And it had a lot of, you know, drones and equipment that would have meant jobs in a lot of states and districts. Uh, that thing was designed to give everybody a little something. And also everybody got a little bit of their policies. This was before the border wall, but right. everybody got a little something in there and Republican and Democratic senators, um, you know, they worked, they did, they, they worked for a long time on that bill and they, they, they put out what was by today's standards, a pretty good bill. Some, it was, you know, incremental change, but that's what the system is actually supposed to be about. And then it went over to the House and John Boehner, um, after some consideration, he polled his own caucus and um, stop me if you've heard this before. The conservatives said it wasn't uh, strict enough and Boehner announced that it would never get a, a vote in the House and it just died. If that kind of bill can't pass and the House is even more divided and the, the, the Republican conference is even more hardline on immigration, you know, if, if that bill wouldn't have a snowball's chance today, uh, it had a better chance back then. I just don't see any solution to this. Were you surprised, though, that there was a like, you know, a mad? I mean, the way it was sold when Title 42 went down was that it was going to be like the Oklahoma land rush. You know, that the people lined up screaming yeah. to come across the way. Yeah. <laughs> and it just didn't happen. It didn't happen. Listen to some uh, Republican lawmakers uh, this morning on the shows before we got started and 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 in the last couple of days. Yeah, you would think that, yeah, stampede is a good way to, yeah. to look at it. Uh, you know, this is an issue that, that sometimes I, I feel like I have a hard time tracking. Um, you know, administrations will, um, shall we say, um, look at look at migration rates with some uh, creative math. Yes. And it's always hard for me to to judge their data. I mean, you use sources and you call experts, but experts have a hard time or they'll point out like, well, they've got a point here, but they're not accounting for this. So this right. is always a tough one uh, for me to to tell. And Mayorkas, Secretary Mayorkas, the Homeland Security Secretary, you know, he's talking about migration rates are down 50%, but but I, you know, I, I don't know how anybody could really verify that. It's, it's a well, tough issue. Here's the problem from but, being down there that I can tell you. On any given day, right, say if there's a thousand people, let's just use the, the term thousand people are on the border and they're going to come across. <laughs> they get picked up. They get caught. They're released mm -hmm. back over the border. 
they try again. So you may have four or 5,000 captures on a day, but you've captured the same people who will try on multiple occasions during the day to get across. And everyone that was, and this is, you know, 30, 40 years ago, and it, and it was actually three years ago as well when I last went to the border um, during the Trump administration, which was funny in and of itself. But at the end of the day, that one person, one person will be responsible for three or four numbers of people coming across, and they always ultimately do get across. So I don't know that I can trust any of the numbers uh, from anyone. So when my orca says they're down, so he's dividing the three, you know, that previous tries, he's taking all those numbers, dividing by three. I get it. I get, I know where he's coming from. I don't listen to the Republicans who say they're up either because maybe they're just, you know, it's the same people and they're trying four times instead of three. Uh-huh. And, but what you do look at and what I do see along the border is the the biggest problem there is are the drug cartels just leveling the and the, and we're responsible for that too. It's our demand for illegal drugs in the U.S. that is pushing the the that in Mexico and South and Central America. So you you know the drug cartels are merely capitalists. You know supply and demand, and the other supply, the other demand is to get into the U.S. and you have the same people trying to get across. And if it were you or I or anyone else, and I've challenged every member of Congress and, and Donald Trump. And I, you know, if you were in their position, what would you do? I'd build my country. You got no infrastructure. What you want to do is make sure your family can eat and have a place to sleep. I'd be the first one in line to walk across the border or swim. So with that said, I, I want to kind of segue back into what we were talking about at first. <laughs> It's coming up, folks, the debt ceiling crisis. And that's uh, <laughs> that's the last one. We'll, we'll, before we go to our next break, we'll handle that issue uh, with uh, President Biden, Biden meeting with uh, Kevin McCarthy and uh, and saying basically, you know, one of the sayings that came from uh, the president as he came out of that meeting with McCarthy is he didn't real, he didn't figure that McCarthy had much wiggle room because he's being held hostage by the far right in his own party, but that they had agreed to meet again. John, you expect any movement on that? I do expect some movement. Uh, It's actually a a positive development that the second White House meeting uh, was postponed. Uh, And in fact, if it's postponed again uh, from early in the week until maybe Thursday or, or Friday, I think that's also a positive thing because that means staff is is getting somewhere. And, you know, President Biden and Speaker McCarthy and the others, they're being briefed by their staff members on, right. on what's being agreed to so far. So uh, John McCain used to tell me all the time, if we're still talking, that's progress. He said, it's always progress um, until someone leaves the room and no one's left the room yet. So um, and, and, and they both have, they both have plenty of incentives to, to get some kind of deal done, but, you know, Biden wants to go to, to what is this G7? Yeah. It's coming up, you know, he wants to go. Um, and, and, and of course, deep down, Kevin McCarthy does not want to be the first speaker to essentially, you know, lead the country over the fiscal cliff. So the, their incentives, uh, these staff folks are career for the most part, career folks who have done this a long, long time. Um, 
and they know where areas of agreement are. But, you know, the X factor here is what happens when Biden and McCarthy shake hands or have a phone call that they have a deal and then the speaker has to take it to his conference and, and see if it can pass with just Republican votes. You know, he's got five votes there. He can lose four. And right. what happens when he loses 10 conservatives? Are are the conservatives going to stand aside and say, OK, you know, go like I said this last week. Yeah, OK, Kevin, you can walk over to Akeem Jeffries office and find 20 Democrats to vote for this thing. So we don't default because it'll be it'll be on their resume if it'll be on the House Republicans resume yeah. in 2024. And I, and I think McCarthy and his whip team, Tom Emmers, is uh, is is very well respected in the conference. And I think they'll make that point to the conservatives. At least don't come for Kevin's job. Let him pass this with some Democratic votes. And let's not let's not give Democrats something to run against all of us. In, in what, a year. what effect does Trump coming out saying I, I'd let the country default? What does that have on Congress? We don't know yet. I think. The contours of whatever deal is is presented to the conservatives will matter a lot. And what Trump says about the details of the deal will matter a lot. It puts it back on the table. In fact, I wrote in, in my column on uh, rollcall.com that Trump's comments at the town hall means Biden should get, should start the process of the legal review that he mentioned. Biden himself mentioned he wants to get a legal review of the 14th Amendment, which could could give any president, including himself, the power to invoke the 14th Amendment because America's debts are always guaranteed. We always pay our debts. That's an amendment to the Constitution. Um, and I said Biden should go ahead and start that process of, of and take it all the way to the Supreme Court. And he can start uh, by asking the Office of Legal Counsel in DOJ to, to, give a, to give an assessment of if they think it's legal. And then you could have court challenges and find out if a president could just go ahead, walk out to the Rose Garden, you know, try to negotiate. And then if you can't come to a deal or 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 if a speaker feels like he can't pass it with the other party pushing it across the finish line with, you know, 20, 25 votes, then a president will walk out to the Rose Garden on a Thursday afternoon and say 14th Amendment and and In we're going to keep rolling. Michael, yeah. could he actually do that? I mean, it, that we've talked about this before. Does that 14th Amendment... The, the, you were in the D, you were you were a part of the the DOJ. Does that and a prosecutor at that? So is that something that is even real? I mean, could could he invoke the Fourteenth Amendment? In your opinion, it's really unsettled. the The Fourteenth yeah. Amendment sort of gives the president uh, certain powers, which one thinks of as normally legislative, which is you know sort of the power of the purse. But these um, provisions of uh, the 14th Amendment passed after the Civil War as part of Reconstruction were really intended to penalize the, the Confederacy and making yeah. sure that um, yeah. they couldn't skip out on their war debts and um, have you know bonds not repaid and the like. So it was very it was passed with very specific uh, um, circumstances in mind. Uh, just like uh, if you swore an oath of office uh, against the United States, you couldn't run for office again. We talked about that in the whether if Trump was convicted of treason or sedition, would the 14th Amendment bar him from running again 
Was that, you know, an oath yeah. uh, equivalent? And those things were all passed so that Confederate senators who left the Union and then now wanted to come back would have um, less authority to do things um, because they swore uh, allegiance to a country other than the United States. And that's what it was about. And that's what this is sort of about. It's uh, it, it's it's very fact-specific in its... Um, origination. But the language of it is soft enough that it creates the possibility that you can now argue its applicability here, which is that the president can unilaterally um, pay the debts of the United States without congressional support for it. Were he to do that, I would assume that there'll be lawsuits and the Supreme Court will ultimately have to decide it. The The, the good news of it might be that it, it would allow the debt, to be, the ceiling to be raised and the debts to be paid while this thing is lit being litigated. And then one could hope that during the price, the cost of the litigation, the price of having this out there was so great that people would then come to the bargaining table and moot out the court case because they reached a comprehensive decision. So I mean that's the that's the that's the gambit. I, I don't know, Brian, what the answer to how this would play out in the courts, because as I said, it was passed under very unique circumstances with something very specific in mind. And now they're trying to sort of uh, massage it in a way that makes it applicable to today's times. And uh, no one but the Supreme Court actually knows what that is until the case is before <laughs> them and it's argued and they debated in conference. Well, before we go to break, the last question for you then, Michael, is it ironic or inevitable that we are looking at legislation and laws and uh, constitutional amendments passed during Reconstruction to deal with today's divisive nation? Well, there are times that... Uh, you think that we're further behind than we were during <laughs> Reconstruction. That Reconstruction was a um, a breath of fresh air um, <laughs> compared to where we are we are now. Um, so I mean, this you can't miss the irony. No, of, I mean you can't miss the irony of um, current Republican politics, which is, I think, um, fighting the lost cause that they are still fighting the civil war and they're just doing it in a little bit more disguised way, but it's still disenfranchisement of voters. Might as well bring back poll taxes, you know, it's just, it's, it, it's just more disenfranchisement. It's gerrymandering so that politicians get to pick their voters as opposed to voters getting to pick their politicians. The Supreme court of the United States has blessed this. We just saw the North Carolina Supreme Court reverse a uh, previous decision uh, and decide that they would not involve themselves in the dramatic gerrymandering that North Carolina is going to do, that switching their congressional delegation from a 7-7 delegation, Republican-Democrat, to probably what will be a 10-4 Republican-controlled um, congressional delegation. And no, and no one, no one is even blushing. It's just, uh, you know, so clear what is going on here. They, the Republicans can't win 
if the rules are fair, fair. everyone has equal access to the ballot box to vote. The only way they can win, because their positions are so pop unpopular, is to rig the vote. And, you know, I don't usually get involved in politics. Um, you know, I try to keep legal, but it's just so clear what's going on here is if you, you know, you two guys are football players, you know, it's sort of like your team doesn't have a kicker. The other team has a really good kicker. So let's change the rules to make the kick <laughs> only worth one point um, instead of three points to the field. <laughs> right. um, and, and that way we have a chance of winning because we got no, we got no field goal kicker. They've got a great one. So let's just emasculate the power of that, of their field goal kicker by changing the rules. And, That's it. and it's always the lawyers who do that, that damn it. It's always the lawyer. When I was a reporter down in Laredo, you remind me, we, we, every year, the Laredo press would play the Laredo, the press would play the young lawyers in a charity flag football game. And one, the year we were down there, we had a lot of ex football players and they changed the rules the, to, to give the lawyers a chance to win because they couldn't win. Otherwise it's always the damn lawyer. We beat them anyway. It's always the damn lawyers that do it. We're going to take a short break. And when we come back, speaking of damn damnable people, George Santos is up. So stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, you. Yeah, you. We're talking to you and we need your help. As you probably know, independent journalism is a vital pillar of our democracy. Like everything else, it's not free. We're asking all longtime listeners of the show to help support us by becoming a member on Patreon. For the price of a latte, you can help guard democracy. Join us today at patreon.com slash J-A-T-Q podcast to help us keep bringing you the podcast you love and the facts you deserve. Hi, we are back. It is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Kerman. Now, to discuss... Probably the most unique individual in a while to be in Congress. George Santos got uh, on the same day that um, the decision came down about Donald Trump this week. We also was it this week, John? Jesus Christ. It seems like it was. <laughs> this is one of those Trump weeks where it seems like a year has passed in one damn week. Um, George Santos, the uh, shady little liar from uh, rural New York. It, who, uh, of course, claimed he was Jewish and then said he wasn't and then made fun of Jewish people and then didn't and then lied about a lot of other crap, was indicted 13 times uh, in federal courts <laughs> the same day that the Carroll decision came down. Uh, Michael, is that is that overkill? Does it matter? Does, is it serious or is it a bunch of bullshit? I mean, well, everything with George Santos is bullshit, but it is... <laughs> Are we to take these charges seriously? And if so, what does it portend? Yes, and jail. <laughs> so Fred, Fred Wertheimer uh, co-authored a, a piece where he said, uh, one of the lines was, says, Santos was even more incompetent as an alleged criminal than he was as an alleged congressman. <laughs> I think it's very, which is very clever. Yeah. But the, 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 
the facts of the matter are that Santos was indicted for essentially fraud, um, meaning that he misled people into contributing money to him and mm. uh, misrepresented how that money would be spent. And so he says, give me money and I'm going to use it for my congressional campaign. They gave him money. He used it for personal um, uh, use, not related to the campaign. So that's that's fraud. You induce someone to give you money fraudulently. So that's yes, <laughs> that's a chunk of the counts. <laughs> then the way the money laundering laws of the United States work is the way the laws work are are what that is. Um, well, the is way it, you actually you were correct. I'm sorry, grammar policy. The way, the way it the, is. The way it is. Yes. Right. <laughs> the way it is is if you acquire money by uh, by com committing a crime, and then you spend that money to to promote the crime, or if it's over a certain dollar threshold, ten thousand um, dollars, then that secondary transaction is money laundering. So, for example. You sell drugs, you get money. That's drug dealing. Then you spend that drug money to buy yourself a house, a car, a boat, whatever. That's money laundering. That secondary transaction is money laundering. Yeah. So here in this case, they said Santos acquired the money by false pretenses. I'm going to use this for my campaign and didn't. And then he used the money uh, to to further the, the scheme, if you will, or to... Uh, spend it in amounts over ten thousand dollars. That's money laundering. So that's that's a that's the majority of the indictment. Um, each of those money laundering counts carries twenty years in prison, and um, then he's also been charged with <laughs> lying, lying to Congress. He misrepresented his finances on his financial disclosure forms, um, and. Uh, you know, just sort of to put a cherry on the, the top of this. Um, As if we need one, but go ahead. We're is, loving it. Is he applied for unemployment insurance um, from the U.S. Department, New York Department of Labor, when in fact he was employed. Um, so. I, I'm sorry. I was, on, I was on. I forget what show I was on. Um, and they asked me. Oh, I was on a Bloomberg radio. They asked me if you were Santos's lawyer what would you be advising? And my answer Run. was advising him to work out the best plea agreement that he can, because those are very, very, I was the chief of the money laundering section of the Justice Department. It's very difficult. It's very difficult to defeat those charges because they're paper. You can see the financial transactions. You can see the solicitation that gave rise to the original uh, illegal money. And then you can see how that money was spent. And if it was, if there's a disconnect, um, then that's 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 the crime. You don't need, you just need an IRS agent to say um, what happened here. And so, <laughs> I think the answer to these to your your two questions of um, <clears throat> yes, this is serial. Yes, this is serious. And yes, it does portend. The probability that he he will plead guilty or be convicted and and sent to jail for some period of time, <laughs> and then so my hometown where I grew up in Great Neck, New York, who he is our congressman, he represents my mother 
who still lives there will perhaps get um, a, a better congressman. <laughs> so, John. <laughs> but of course, you know, Brian, just to the earlier point, isn't Santos's, the, the Republicans are standing behind him, you know, guilt until proven in, you know, innocent yeah. until guilty, whatever that expression is. Um, because he was the one, he was one of the, the votes that, that McCarthy need. needed in yeah. the debt ceiling debate. So they don't yeah. want to get rid of him. Yeah. Yeah. He needs his vote. Yeah. It's they don't want to get rid of him in. yet. After the debt ceiling, they'll get rid of him. And that's that's the question for you, John. I mean, you take a look at it. I mean, first of all, Mitt Romney don't like the guy anyway and, and called him out at the at, at the uh, uh, presidential uh, meeting before Congress, the State of the Union. Uh, mm -hmm. Is there anyone in Congress other than Marjorie Taylor Greene, another moron, who who at the end of the day would go, gee, George, you're our guy. I mean, they're going to stick with him until the debt ceiling crisis is over. But even McCarthy has said, look, if he's if he's found guilty, I'm, he's got to resign. So, I mean, he, he there's no love loss, <laughs> is there? Certainly not. Uh, the, the, <laughs> the debt ceiling is is a good example of of, I, I suspect why the speaker hasn't been, at least in public, a little more forceful about um, suggesting or even nudging Mr. Santos toward the uh, the the door there, and uh, you got to resign and let's have a special election and all that fun stuff. Uh, he can't lose many votes, and you know he thinks Santos might vote with him, then he's going to keep him around until. Uh, until he's convicted. Until the door clangs on the cell. <laughs> I think, it, yeah, it was pretty obvious when Mr. Santos was uh, was elected and joined Congress how McCarthy really feels about all this. So I'm like you. I think once, once, and it seems like a conviction is likely. So uh, once that happens, I think. Hey, the McCarthy federal prosecutor was... said as much. I'm going with Michael on that one. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. And so I, you know, I think McCarthy will, McCarthy will start the expulsion process uh, pretty quickly after that. Now, they could lose that seat, uh, but I think that's a risk that that even a lot of the, the conservative bloc understands that they just have to take. You can't, you, you couldn't have someone convicted on, you know, maybe all 13 counts you know serving in congress so um that could we could be down to a four seat majority and um they could you know they did pass an immigration bill this week say what you will about the republican the, the republican party being wounded and and the caucus being fractured um it's a messaging bill because it's not going anywhere but right. you know losing that seat would make it harder uh to pass bill and they want to run on that immigration bill and some of the other things I know we say, you know, we write in our stories uh, for good reason, but that these things are dead on arrival. But McCarthy's passing this stuff for a reason. They want to go run on this stuff in 2024. So right. uh, losing that losing that that district in New York would uh, would make it harder to do that. But, you know, sometimes you, you have to do things and and you would have you would have to kick yes, him but out. If your congressman is facing 260 years in yeah. prison, right. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's one of those extraordinary situations. Yeah, they'll, they'll kick him out. They'll have a special. And, and if Unless they take it off, runs concurrently, if it's consecutively, it's 260 yeah. years. <laughs> the thing of it is, though, of course, that that district, again, where I grew up, um, it, it, the Democrats don't have any clear um assurance yeah. that they win that district i mean oh yeah obviously since he won it <laughs> right but well yeah so i mean it may be that they are not going to lose a seat they're just going to lose the, the seat holder 
Oh yeah, it'll be competitive for sure. For sure, it's probably you start out. It probably leans Republican if you're going to handicap it. Let me, uh, uh, as we end today's uh, uh, fun and frivolity, uh, I do want to talk about. Uh, you had dropped a note, Michael, about Hunter Biden's laptop, and I do want to talk about it, but I think we're going to save that for next week because it's. It I think we've got a decision coming in it, but. The, the, there were a couple letters that I do want to get to, and one of them has to do with what we just spoke about, and it's for you, Michael. Um, why is it easier? This is from uh, ADA 74, ADA 74, ADA 74. Maybe it's Assistant District Attorney 74. I don't know. Uh, but ADA 74 says, why is it easier? Why was um, George Santos so easily prosecuted and charged while Donald Trump still remains at large with no charges federally? And Michael, that that one was for you. I'll give you a shot at answering that. The Donald Trump case is a more complicated case, factually, as a matter of witnesses, as a matter of how it fits into a broader set of charges that one might bring as a prosecutor. So the Santos case is a much more straightforward case. He's been there in Congress a year now, right? Is that right? How long yeah. has he been there? A little over a year? And Since the 2022 election, yeah, midterm election. Right. So January of, of the of what, uh, 20, um, yeah, January 23, about a year. Yeah, a little over a year, a year, yeah. year and 18 months. And it's taken them about that amount of time to indict him because this, this information was more or less known from the outset of his tenure in office. So it took over a year to bring pretty straightforward cases against um, Santos. So the fact that we're at the sort of two-ish year mark um, with Trump, you know, it's sort of parody there in my mind. Okay. The thing that's interesting uh, for, for the letter writer to uh, observe, which is Santos is accused of acquiring money by misrepresentation, right? He right. misrepresented its use. Well, there's been a lot of stories in the paper about did Donald Trump do the same thing? Did he misrepresent what he was soliciting money for? And if so, is that part of the calculus that the prosecutors are going to weigh in determining whether to charge him with with a crime? And for, uh, do we lose John? I have a question for John. If he's, <laughs> do, do we lose uh, you, John? <laughs> I'm back. Okay. So Sorry the question that. for you is, this is from Repub33, uh, who listens to us regularly, who says I he gets the uh, understanding that you have covered Congress for quite a while. Why is it, quote, my party, the Republican Party, uh, so difficult to deal with? Are they easier to talk with when you're actually one-on-one -on -one with them, or is it all demagoguery all the time? And he says, quote, unquote, it's Marjorie Taylor Greene that's making us all look like fools. So that's that's the that's for you to to uh, to answer. Uh, it depends on the lawmaker that you're talking to. You know, it. you know, I talked to you know Senator Lankford and Senator Cornyn and Senator Romney um, every week, just about. And, you know, they're they're very professional. They answer questions. They're more or less reasonable you know you're not going to agree with every politician's politics or policies all the time um but 
uh, you know, they respect the job that we're trying to do and, and, and they give us the time uh, and we appreciate that. They could do like some Republican and Democratic lawmakers. They could, uh, when they see us, they could put their phone up to their ear and pretend to be having a telephone <laughs> conversation. Um, but, you know, there we've are all other... seen that. That's, yeah. What's funny is when you can see that there's nothing on the phone. There's nothing. That's, yeah. There's nothing on the screen. Yeah. Right. It's just the, you know, the, the phone has, is, it's got the time of day and they're going, ah, and, and it's... yeah. Yeah. Uh, and but there are others who are more difficult. There are others who want to uh, Republicans, and there are some Democrats like this too. This is bipartisan. There are some that want to argue with you no matter what, and you know a lot of those are the more Trumpy uh, type members uh, that just like him, you know, he came out there and he was ready to he was ready to to spar with Caitlin uh, from the beginning Wednesday night, and so there are a lot like that. Uh, there are incentive that once. But even the, the the conservative bloc, once they get into Congress and they settle in and they understand how everything works, you know, they understand the incentive that they have to talk to the press. Um, and, you know, we get their message out. That's part of what we do. Yeah. Um, we need quotes and they want to get their message out. So, you know, that's part of the I hate to call it a game, but that is part of the game. It's how it's yeah. played. So it just depends on the member. Uh, but But for the most part, you know. When you look someone in the eye, they're not going to call you an enemy of the state. They'll wait until you go around the corner to talk to another member. <laughs> and then call, call, and then call us in. Yeah, right. Speak, speaking of which, the the last, and I'm going to answer this one, the last letter comes from Alt-76. When I sit down and have a lunch with Donald Trump, and why is it that we're always so at loggerheads, the press and uh, do we take, I'm sorry, why are we always at loggerheads and do we take, uh, um, <clears throat> do, do we take pleasure in making him look bad? No, look, as a, as a report, first of all, yeah, I would sit down and have lunch with him. I don't think I'd have cheeseburgers or McDonald's with him, but sure, I'd sit down and eat with him anytime. He's president of the United States, former president, and it, it's worth the time for all of us to hear what he has to say. So that's why I'm with the uh, CNN thing. But <clears throat> as far as taking pleasure, I will say this. It was my mentor, Sam Donaldson, who said, look, he got a lot of grief because they think all we do is want to ask a gotcha question. And then we think we've done our job. Truth of the matter is, if I've crafted a good question for the president of the United States and he answers it well and hits the ball out of the park and, and his people say, wow, they really put, you know, Sam Donaldson or Brian Kerman in, in their place because they hit it out of the park. I've still done my job because I've asked a good question. They've given a good answer. As you said, John, you know, it, that's part of, of what we do is, is you know, it, that is part of the game. So I have no problems with sitting down to talk to anyone. I've sat down and talked to serial killers, mobsters, drug dealers, and none of them were Donald Trump. But I it's, so I would sit down and have a conversation with Donald Trump as well. So that's this week's uh, edition of Just Ask the Question. Want to thank everybody, uh, Michael. Where can we? Uh, I love it when you plug. I I love your podcast. By the way, I've been listening to it. So, plug away. My podcast is called That Said with Michael Zeldin on all major podcast apps. It's a book based discussion. Uh, upcoming next week will be my discussion with Mehdi Hassan. The MSNBC uh, analyst who has a, a weekend show about his book, How to Win Any Argument. And the week after that, it will be with I'd Joan Biskubic, with Joan Biskubic, who wrote a book on the Supreme Court 
non-black robes and um, have a listen. They're in-depth discussions of books of interest to me and I hope to the listening audience. Thank you very much, Michael. John, I, by the way, I also retweet regularly your uh, column, which I enjoy immensely. So how can we, where, where can we find John? Thanks for the retweets. Appreciate that. <laughs> um, CQ Afternoon Briefing Newsletter, uh, CQ.com. You can subscribe today and, or your company can subscribe today. And uh, weekly column every Friday. Uh, this one's a freebie for everybody on rollcall.com. And the name of this show is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Caramel. Look, we love you guys uh, listening in. Love your letters. Keep them coming. And we'll see you next time.